And thank you for your singing today. Man, I love Christmas. Uh, I love December. I love the uh, I love the holiday season. I love the trees. I love the lights. I love Christmas cookies. So I am excited that December is finally here at Journey Church International, and we're going to have a great time studying the Bible all month long about the birth of uh, of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm 33 years old. I'll be 34 in about uh, in about two months or so. Um, and I'm going to turn these lights on. For, forgive me for walking over here. It's just a little dark on this stage. Is that the right one? There we go. Is that better? That cool. It's better for me. I couldn't see my notes. Um, but, you know, I, at 33, there's only, three, um, there's only three things that I can remember about second grade. Do, can any of you remember second grade? Can any of you remember the teacher that you had in, in second grade? I guess there's four things because I can remember her name. There's only three things that I can remember about second grade. Uh, one was the Mad Minute. Uh, y'all, y'all remember that? It was, a, it was like a math thing where you had a minute to do as many math problems as you could. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Uh, and, my, you know, my mom and dad were school teachers. My dad was a principal, so I used to go to the office and have them run me off, I mean, as, as many mad minutes as I could. And I would practice, 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 because every day I wanted to win the mad minute where you'd, you'd do all the problems on the page, or as many as you could, and then you'd flip them over and yell, done. And it was my goal every day to, to win the mad minute. I remember that about second grade. Uh, I also remember... Uh, in second grade, when my, my teacher got up before the class and she said, Now, kids, and I remember this real distinctly, um, today we're going to have a little discussion about the difference between boys and girls. And, and so I want to tell you right now, if you start laughing or act immature uh, during this discussion, you're going to have to sit in the hallway. Well, I immediately began laughing and got kicked out of class before the discussion even began, which was actually better for me because I, I learned a lot more when, as my friends explained it to me over our like He-Man lunchboxes at, at the table um, at lunch that day. You know, here's here's what, what we taught, what we learned about. So I, I remember that me- memory. I remember getting kicked out of class. But then my most vivid memory of second grade was right before Christmas. And we had a girl in our class that, uh, you know, I, I won't say her name, that I can only refer to as the devil, chi- devil child, who, who walked into class and announced one day right after lunch. I, I mean, I can remember where I was sitting at my desk. The door was on this side of the room. And she walked in the classroom and announced to the room, My mom told me that Santa Claus is not real. And I mean, I was, it, it was like slow motion. No! You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was one of the worst moments of my life. I mean, you talk about sucking the joy out of, out of Whoville. I mean, like in an instant. I mean, it was like I, you, that somebody had punched you in the gut or kicked you in the jingle bells. I mean, it was like a terrible, <laughs> terrible moment. What? That's how my second grade teacher used to look at me. Do I need to go to the, go to the hallway now? It, it was horrible. And I remember, I mean, I loved Christmas. And I loved Santa. And I loved writing my letter to the North Pole. And I loved leaving cookies and milk for Santa. And in that moment in my life, I thought, that can't be true. Santa has to be real. If Santa's not real, nobody's real. I didn't know she was lying. But she came in, and that day as a second grader, man, my world was turned upside down. Santa is not real. And from that moment, I never even gave Santa another thought until about four or five years ago. I just, I just never thought he existed. Never gave him a second thought. And I'm doing an interview four or five years ago in a ministry setting with a guy by the name of Paul Myers, Dr. Paul Myers, who's the professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University, one of the greatest ancient history professors in the world. And we were doing a, a series showing pictures of artifacts, art, 
um, and archaeological finds that prove the Bible to be true, that, that prove the history of Christianity. And as we're sitting on a stage, I'm sitting on one stool, he's sitting on another, we've got a screen behind us, and pictures are flashing, and he's showing picture after picture, archaeological find after archaeological find, all these things in these great museums, and a picture flashes up, and he says, that's Santa Claus. And I started laughing. I said, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? He said, that's Santa Claus. And I said, that man... He said, yes, that is St. Nicholas. That is the real Santa Claus. And it was like the clouds broke and angels started singing. And I thought, I knew it all this time. I knew that Santa was real. And I said, that's the real Santa. And he began to tell me the story of a pastor at a church in what is modern day Turkey, uh, a man by the name of Nicholas, who was sainted by the Catholic Church because basically he decided to live his life for less fortunate people. And he began to tell me the story of St. Nicholas and how it translated into when, when St. Nicholas and the stories of St. Nicholas finally got to the Dutch community and they called him not Saint, but they, they said the word Saint like Sant and they called him Sant Nicholas instead of St. Nicholas. He said that caught on and he told me the whole story of how St. Nicholas became the jolly old St. Nick that we know. And throughout this month, I'll tell you that story because it's fascinating. And I, I grew up kind of in a church mode that said, you know, to, to mention Santa Claus, to talk about Santa Claus is disrespectful to God and Jesus, disrespectful to the holiday. I want you to know I disagree. When you really study the real historical St. Nicholas, who he was, what he did, you're going to find out that knowing about Santa Claus and the real Santa Claus, and like I told somebody asked me the other day, is Santa Claus real? I say, sure is. He's as real as George Washington. I can show you his picture. Um, and and I, I, I love to take people and talk to them about who Santa Claus was, a pastor who found out the needs that people had. And he really lived his life to, to take care of orphans. He lived his life to take care of single women. We have a lot of single women in here. The original St. Nicholas literally sold everything he had and lived his life to take care of single moms and their children. Some of you should appreciate Santa Claus a little more now. Uh, when you hear the history of it, the man is fascinating. And it helps us at Christmas time think back and remember that Christmas began... When somebody found someone who had a need that needed to be met, and they decided to meet it. If you have your Bible today, I want to take you back to the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's an Old Testament book for those of you who are brand new. If you don't have your Bible today, every Sunday our ushers will come down the aisle. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot a Bible, if you'd like a Bible today, our ushers are going to come down. Just wave at them. They'll give you a Bible. You can keep this Bible. Uh, you can give it back after church. It can be yours to have. Since our church has started, we've given away well more than 100 Bibles, and we ordered another 100 last week, and I hope our church is known for giving away thousands upon thousands. So if you need one, we've got a bunch. The ushers will give one to you. But we're in the book of Isaiah. And if you don't know where that is, there'll be a little table of contents in the, in the front of your Bible. It's kind of right in the middle of the Old Testament, just a little past the Psalms. But the Christmas story, as we know the Christmas story, and now I'm not talking about Santa, I'm talking about Jesus the Christmas story really begins in the Old Testament. And I thought for those of you who are brand new to church, maybe brand new to, to Bible study, brand new to everything we're doing here, just to give you some, some simple truth, the book of Isaiah was written by a prophet who was na who, whose name was Isaiah. Now you say, what is a prophet? A prophet was a spokesman for God. A prophet was somebody who, who God gave a message to who would go and communicate it to the world. In the book of Exodus, as you read Genesis and Exodus, God used to just speak to people directly from heaven. In Exodus, it freaked out the people so much sometimes that they said, look, just choose a guy, tell him, he can tell us, you scare us. And God said, okay, I'll do that. And I could take you to that text now, but it'd take too long. 
So since then, God always spoke through a prophet or a spokesman. And prophecy, when we talk about prophecy, prophecy is a message from God to humanity. Something God wants us to know. Sometimes it's past. Here's what happened. He told Moses what happened at the beginning of the world. That's where Genesis came from. Sometimes it's present. Uh, Isaiah would tell people, here's what's going to happen. And sometimes it's future. Daniel had future prophecy. We, we talk about the book of Revelation being future prophecy, the things that are going to happen at the end times. But it's always, prophecy always has the goal of helping humanity understand God's interaction with mankind, with the ultimate goal of mankind being delivered, rescued, helped. Um, God is always trying to help us understand that he loves us and wants to help us. And in whatever situation we find ourselves in life, God's always trying to help us understand he's there for us and he can help us. So Isaiah had a message in Isaiah 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a people that that was a message, a a present-day message, but it also had a large future cast to it because he was talking about the deliverer of the world who was going to come and help, and he began to talk about a baby being born. And here's what he said in Isaiah 9, 6, a tremendous Christmas verse. On December 18th, we've got our kids' musical. This stage will be flooded with all our elementary school kids. They'll be up here singing songs, and I'm sure somebody will quote this verse on December 18th. And it's pretty simple. It says, For for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, here's the names he'll be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, as you look at St. Nicholas, the real Santa Claus, and for those of you, if there's kids in here, yes, Santa Claus is real. The real St. Nicholas lived his life and became a legend in the Catholic Church and in our world because he existed to find needs that people had, and he met those needs. God did the same thing at Christmas. And if you look at the names, the phrases that we see in just this one verse of Isaiah chapter 9, you're going to see needs that people have. And what God tried to do when this little baby Jesus was born in this holiday season we celebrate called Christmas. So what I want to do today in Isaiah 9 verse 6 is is I want to take this verse and I want to divide it into four parts. I want to give you four phrases and I want to talk to you about what people need, what humanity needs at all times in the world. People need this. And what God was trying to do and did do for us that very first Christmas when he sent Jesus to a little town in Bethlehem. As we look at the very first phrase in verse 6, we see that a child was born. A child was born. For unto us a child is given. And that helps us understand that people need a second chance in life. And I don't know where you are today, but you, you need to know today... If you need a second chance, it's there. You can take it and run with it. Some of you, I had a second chance, I, I blew it. You can have a third, fourth, fifth, one thousandth, one, one million. You can always start over because a baby was born in Bethlehem. You know, if we, if we study Scripture closely, there's three places in Scripture, and you don't have to turn to all of them because they're going to be on the screen behind me, but there's three times in Scripture where the world needed a second chance, and, and the prophet or God said, a baby's going to come, who's going to give this. The first one is Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. It's going to be like the first two or three pages of your Bible, pretty easy to find. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, we find two people, their names are Adam and Eve, that need a second chance. And God said this second chance is going to happen when this baby is born. 
Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, God created, according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the earth and everything in it and animals and people and Adam and Eve. And he said, do all these things, but don't do this. And they did it. And all of a sudden, God's judgment came against them, and they needed a second chance. They had messed up bad. If you play golf, they needed a mulligan. Um, if, uh, if you ever failed a test, they needed an extra credit project. I mean, they were in trouble. And, and God comes to them in Genesis chapter 3, and we read about what happened, and then we read about a second chance. I'm just going to read it, and I want you to, to understand that this second chance is going to be given when this baby is born. The Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had created. And he said to the woman, her name was Eve, did God really say you couldn't eat from any trees in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we we can eat of the fruit of the trees. But God did say you can't eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You can't touch it. You'll die. And the devil said to her in verse 4, you'll surely not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for himself. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called, and he said, Hey, where are you? And Adam answered, Well, I heard you in the garden, and I was scared because I was naked, so I hid. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, verse 12. Now, let me say this before I read verse 12. Guys, we're going to do in February a series on marriage. And it'll be four weeks of what the Bible says about marriage. But let, let me give you one hint here. When you mess up everything in humanity, like when you really mess up, don't blame it on your wife. Because that's what Adam does here. God, God calls Adam and says, what did you do? And Adam says, well, it was her fault. This is not going to make for a good marriage. And if Adam would have had a couch, he would have been sleeping on the couch. If he'd have had a house, he'd have maybe been sleeping in the garage or, or in a hotel. That God says, what, what, what did you do? And the man said, the woman. And, and call her by her name. Not this woman. God, this woman. You put here with me. She gave it to me and I ate it. Then God said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this curse for you above all the livestock and wild animals, you'll crawl on your belly, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And here's what he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He'll crush your head and you'll strike his heel. Genesis 3.15 is, is what's called in, in theology the proto-evangelium. It's actually a Latin word that means first gospel. It's the first time in the Bible that the baby Jesus is mentioned coming to defeat the devil. Genesis 3.15, devil's going to cause a lot of problem with humanity, but somebody born of a woman is going to come and he's going to crush him. See, Adam and Eve needed a second chance. And God said, listen, a baby will be born who's going to give you a second chance. You really messed this up, but you can have a second chance because this baby will be born. In Luke chapter 1, if, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 1, or you can just look on the screen behind me. And in Luke chapter 1, we see a similar message given to Mary. And this is, if you really want to study the, the birth of Jesus in Scripture, you should go read the books, the early chapters of the books of Matthew and the book of Luke, because in Matthew, we see it from Joseph's perspective. In Luke, we see it from Mary's perspective. Bible scholars actually think Luke interviewed Mary and said, what was it like 
because we hear everything from Mary's perspective. But in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, an angel tells Mary, look, the hope of the world is coming, but it's going to be a little baby born in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we'll go through verse 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was troubled at his words, and he wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You're going to be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He's going to be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord is going to give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom won't end. How's this going to be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. For, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. An angel said, God desires right now to step in and give humanity a second chance and it's going to come through a baby. Now, for me, Mary's answer is kind of strange. If, if somebody... Well, if somebody told me I was pregnant, that would be extremely odd. But if I was a teenage girl, or I was dating a teenage girl, and an angel came to them and said, you were pregnant, I don't know that I would say what you've said is cool. I would say, can you come tell my mom and dad how this happened because they are going to kill me and, and my boyfriend. And Mary didn't say that. She didn't say, can you come tell my mom and dad? She said, look, whatever God needs me to do, I'm in. The angel said, God wants to give humanity a second chance, so a baby is going to be born that can do that. In Matthew chapter 2, another New Testament book, through the eyes of Joseph and in Scripture, we see that the world needed a second chance. And through the birth of a baby, it happened. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, we call those wise men, came from the east of Jerusalem, and they asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together the chief, the, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, you, you might circle that word Christ, and I, I may or may not have put this on your sermon outline, but the word Christ, that's a Greek word. The, the, the Hebrew word for Christ is Messiah. The English word for Messiah is Savior or King. So Herod said, you know, listen, I heard somebody was going to come who would save the world, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the King. I heard he was going to come, but I heard he was going to be, be born as a baby first. Where? And we see that throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Scripture, everyone was waiting on this event where a baby would be born that would change everything. And you need to know, regardless of where you are in life today, a baby was born 2,000 years ago in a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem that has the ability, if you choose, to change everything for you. Regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you're going through, you can have a second chance because a baby was born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah precedes this verse about this child, and he's speaking to a people who needs a second chance. He says, To the people walking in darkness, you've seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, on those of you living in misery and depression, a light has dawned. 
You've enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you shattered the yoke. He goes back to a a huge victory. He said, you're giving these people who need joy victory. A bar across the shoulder. People who are, are burdened down by things. You've lifted the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It'll be fuel for the fire. He said, all the military weapons, we're just going to use them like for our fireplace because there's not going to be any more war. The strife in your life, the strife in your marriage, the strife internally, emotionally with you, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're addicted to, all those things can go away because this baby has been born in Bethlehem. You see, people need a second chance. And when God realized that, he said, I'm going to give them a second chance through this baby in Bethlehem. You know, when, um, when Danielle first got pregnant with Christian, we talk about, I mean, real babies, the babies we dedicated today. My first son changed my life. I saw my marriage in a different way. I saw, uh, you know, I saw my Christianity in a different way. I saw everything I did in a different way. I mean, when I had a son, life changed. You know what a baby can do. Some of you are getting ready to give up on your marriage. Here's what I want to challenge you to do before you choose not to give your spouse one more chance. Go home and look in the eyes of your child and see if it's worth it for that baby to to try one more time to to keep the family that, that the child should have, if they can, together. Because children, boy, children can change our life. And this baby Jesus gave the world a second chance. Phrase number two, if we look at Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah said, a baby's going to be born. It's going to give a second chance. But then he said, this child will be called the Prince of Peace. He said, what do people need at Christmas? What do people need in life? People need inner peace. I mean, that's pretty simple. If you look at the world and the things the world chases, people need inner peace. Isaiah 26, 3 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it just says this real simply. You will keep him in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because he trusts in you. You know, if I ask you all in here today to raise your hands, and I won't, so don't raise your hands, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you have perfect peace right now, most of us would not because we don't have financial peace. Thank you, Dave Ramsey, for that phrase. And we don't have marital peace. And we don't have employment peace. And we don't have spiritual peace peace and we don't have family peace there's just conflicts raging all around us and we're struggling and boy if we could have inner peace it would really be nice and inner peace isn't the absence of things in the world going crazy it's just peace in the midst of them because you know you are where you're supposed to be spiritually doesn't mean life isn't hard doesn't mean there's a lack of conflict but inner peace means you are where you're supposed to be are you where you're supposed to be spiritually right now and do you feel comfortable with life You know, as I look at spiritual inner peace, really that peace comes from security. And security comes from three things that that I think every person should, should hopefully know deep down. Peace comes from the security of knowing God loves you. You say, well, how could God love me? Man, if God knew me, if God knew the things that I did, if God knew the things I was thinking about doing, if God knew about me what nobody else knows, man, I don't think God could love me. Listen, you need to understand and have security that God loves you. So I'm not even a Christian yet. God loves you. The Bible says before we were Christians, he sent his son to die for us. God loves you. Security comes from knowing that God will take care of you. So I'm worried about my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how I'm going to put food on my table. 
You need to understand that God knows you and that God will take care of you. Now, that might not mean that God's going to give you a Mercedes and a 5,000-square-foot house and vacation homes and a jet and just excess money, but God knows your needs according to the Bible, and he will take care of those if you'll be faithful to follow him. And you need to understand that God has completely forgiven you. See, those three things will give inner peace to somebody who focuses on God. So there's a lot of things in my life not going right. I I know, but when everything in your life goes right, but you're not sure if God loves you, and you question whether God will take care of you, and you question whether or not you can be completely forgiven of what you've done, you're going to struggle and lie awake at night. And the Bible tells us we can have inner peace because God loves us, because God's going to take care of us, and because He has completely forgiven anything that we've done. The Bible says even anything that that we ever uh, that we ever will do. You know, one of the most common statements made about the birth of Jesus, two people, hey, Jesus has been born, is that Jesus is born and now you can have peace. If you, if you look through the Bible in, in Luke chapter 2, and, and again, all the things we learn about the birth of Jesus, the, you know, the nativity scene, the, the Bible's Christmas story, it's found in Matthew and it's found in Luke. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, uh, the angels are singing. Remember the angels went to the shepherds? And the angels announced to the shepherds that, hey, the Messiah, the, the Christ, the King, the Savior, the Deliverer has been born. Um, and, and here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, is the word on the screen? And on earth, what's the word? One more time. And on earth, peace. Hey, Jesus has come so you can have peace. Who? Everybody on the earth. Glory to God in the highest because peace has come to men and God's favor can rest on them. If we go a little further in, in Matthew chapter 2, it's really interesting. There was a guy who didn't have inner peace. And, and he basically, his one request of God was that God would let him have inner peace before he died. His name was Simeon. And in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, we learn about him. And when he finally realized the baby had been born, that Jesus was there, he said he had peace. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wasn't going to die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Remember, Christ, Messiah, Savior, King, all the same word. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus in for him to do what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, By the way, this is his baby dedication. So those of you who had your babies dedicated today, this is when Jesus was dedicated, right here. Parents brought him to the temple to do what was the custom, to dedicate their child. Simeon sees him and takes him. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You've given me peace. And now the world has hope. Israel has hope. And everyone who's not Israel has hope. But I have peace. And, you know, you're going to leave church today, and here's what you need to know. You may have peace, and you may say, well, my, you know, my brother, sister, mom, and dad, sons and daughters, friends, neighbors, husbands, wife, spouse, ex-wife, they don't believe in God. You know what? They have hope. You have peace. They have hope because Jesus is coming. And that's what Simeon said. I, I have peace, and now everyone else has hope. They can choose to reject it, but the hope is there for them to have peace as well. It's funny, Jesus' last message to his disciples, John chapter 14, Jesus was born to bring peace. And in John chapter 14, right as he was leaving his disciples and getting ready to go to the cross, he said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, Jesus was, was all about us having inner peace, 
Us being able to lay down at night and sleep when everything is going crazy for us to know it's going to be okay. You know, one of the, uh, the ladies who does a lot in our church, her name is Karen Bond. Uh, some of you know her, some of you don't, but she works tirelessly behind the scenes. All the stuff you see here that looks Christmassy and out there, she did. And she does more than we'll ever know. Uh, and I had lunch with her yesterday. And four years ago, um, her, her mother died of an aneurysm, um, literally in her bedroom, in her arms. And for the first time yesterday, we had a conversation about that. Because, you know, I, I, am, I, am, I am a Christian and I am a pastor, but I am human. And I often ask myself this question. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm real. God, what would it take for me to lose my faith? Probably shouldn't. That's probably not a good question for a preacher to ask himself, but I do. What would it take, God, for me to doubt that you love me, care about me, that you're in charge? And I think all the time, you know, probably the death of my parents. God forbid if something would happen to my wife or my kids. I would really, really struggle to understand that. So when I'm close with someone who's been through that, I, you know, I, as respectfully as I can, I ask them questions. I just ask him what... What was that like, and how long did it take to go to bed, and you know, how long to get over it? And, and she made an amazing statement. She probably doesn't even realize she made it. She said at the instant that literally her mother came in the room and, and, and said she had a headache, and, and as she realized instantaneously God had taken her mom home, she said in that instant I just had such peace that it was going to be okay. And you know, not knowing what was going to happen or how it was going to happen or what, how everything was going to play out, she made the statement that Jesus was there and there was peace. She said it washed over me like getting paint poured on me. I don't know if you remember saying that. And if you can imagine that, that paint would just cling to you. Just peace all over me. You know, we're going to go through issues that tear our world apart. But inner peace, man, you, 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 can't, you can't pay enough for that. And it's available because Jesus came and he was born. Jesus came to give people a second chance. Jesus came to give people inner peace. Jesus was born, phrase number three, to be a wonderful counselor, according to Isaiah 9, 6. He'll be called a wonderful counselor. Why? Because people need spiritual wisdom. People need spiritual wisdom. One of the most, most asked questions that is asked of me as a pastor is people will call me, people who want to do the right thing spiritually, people who want to do the biblical thing spiritually, and they say, Christian, what should I do? And it's not that I am the smartest person in the world, but I've, I've got enough Bible training and, and ministry experience that I usually know what the Bible says about a specific issue. And people call me all the time and say, I had this issue. What should I do? What, what they're saying is not, Christian, what do you think? But what does the Bible say? Christian, my kids just went through this. What should I do? They, they don't want my opinion. They're saying, what does the Bible say? And, you know, all of us are wondering, hey, you know, what... What's the correct God-honoring, God-blessed thing to do? What, what would God want me to do here? You know, the little WWJD bracelet, it's, it's more than that. It's not, you know, I need to act like Jesus. But in this situation, in this crisis, I don't know how to respond. What does the Bible say? And Jesus gives great advice. If we read through the Bible, Jesus gives tremendous advice. Solomon, if you read through the Old Testament, Solomon gives Tremendous advice. Go read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. I challenge you find a month like January that has 31 days and read one chapter a day. Just great advice. Do this. Don't do this. Just good spiritual advice. But not all of us are as smart as Jesus or Solomon. Not all of us have the, the spiritual wisdom. One of my favorite Christmas stories is about a little kid named Tommy who, who lived in his home where, you know, mom and dad were really opposed to Santa Claus and they didn't like Santa. And, and I, have been play, I have been in churches 
where people chastise us for having Christmas trees and bringing Santa Claus in to see the kids. And, you know, I, I don't get that, but that, that's where some people are. But Tommy had a mom and dad kind of like that, that wouldn't let him write notes to Santa, so they made him write his Christmas list to God. Um, you know, now the Bible says if you want to talk to God, you just pray. You don't have to send a letter to the throne room of heaven. Uh, but mom sent Tommy upstairs and said, Tommy, go write your Christmas list to God and bring it down and I'll put it in the mail. So Tommy goes upstairs and, you know, Tommy's kind of a naughty kid like me in second grade. And, and he grabbed his, you know, his pen, and his piece of paper, and he began his letter, Dear God. And he says, God, you know that I've been good this year. And he started thinking and he thought, you know, that's not true. And God will know that's a lie. So he took the paper and he crumpled it up. He threw it in the trash can. He pulled another piece of paper and started, Dear God, God, you know I've tried my hardest to be good this year. And he thought and he thought, you know, that's, that's not true either. He tore up the piece of paper and threw it in the trash can. Took his pencil and he was, well, you can picture him walking around the house and he's banging his pencil on stuff, tapping it on the wall. And he goes and he sees his mom's little nativity sitting out in the dining room. And he looks at the nativity and he looks it over and he sees little baby Jesus there. And he took baby Jesus. And he grabbed him and he looked at him and he went upstairs and he took baby Jesus. And he put him kind of between his mattress and the box springs. He hid baby Jesus and he pulled out a piece of paper. He said, dear God, if you ever want to see your son again. <laughs> you know, that, now that's spiritual wisdom. That's, that's how you get Christmas presents from God, right? You kidnap baby Jesus. I mean, that, you know, that's, a, that's a great way to do it. But not all of us are born like little Tommy with an ingenious criminal mind. Um, and in, uh, in John chapter 18, in John chapter 18, Jesus is having a discussion with a man named Pilate. And if you study the life of Jesus, he was, he was born and he came and he lived and he got put on a, a, literally a horrible trial. He got ramrodded through the legal system of the day so that they could produce capital punishment on him, crucifixion. And this man, Pilate, who was the only guy who had the power, he was the judge who could say, yes, you're going to die. No, you're not going to die. He and Jesus were having this conversation. He told Jesus that, you know, I don't understand. You know, to me, you don't appear to have done anything wrong. And in John chapter 8, 18, verses 33 through 38, he and Jesus are having this conversation backstage of the courtroom before he goes out to get ready to, uh, to pronounce judgment. Um, and in verse 33, it says, Pilate went back inside the palace he called Jesus to him and he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea or did somebody else tell you about me? And Pilate, you know, kind of responded arrogantly. He said, look, am I a Jew? Kind of like, I don't even care. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it's your people and your chief priest who have handed over. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom's not even of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Verse 38, one of the most honest questions in Scripture. Pilate says, what is truth? What is the truth? I mean, is the truth that Jesus came, that he was really God's son, that he was really born of a virgin? Come on, that can't happen. That he got crucified, that he rose from the dead? Come on. Is that the truth? Is evolution the truth? Is another world religion the truth? Is, is the truth that we just live, die, and we get put in a box and there's nothing? What is the truth? That's a great question. And Pilate was honest enough to ask it. Pilate said, look, I don't get it. What is the truth? And Jesus kind of said, look, man, you're looking at him. And, and what you have to know is I believe as a Christian, as a pastor, as a human being, I believe I found the truth in Jesus. 
He's changed my life. And I don't have all the answers. But the spiritual wisdom I need, you know, I've studied closely the science of evolution. There's some really interesting stuff there. But you know what? When I have a crisis, there's nothing in a science book that gives me spiritual counsel. When I preach a funeral or I'm at the funeral like I was a few years ago, my grandmother there, there's nothing in any other world religions that I've studied that gives me spiritual counsel and truth and hope at that funeral. You know, Jesus, for me, is the truth. And I would encourage you, if you haven't tried Jesus yet, try him. You know, Solomon said, I tried pleasure, and that wasn't the truth. That wore out. And I tried other pursuits, making money and being business, and that wore out. Jesus is the only thing that lasts for eternity. And that's the last thing, phase, phase, phrase number four in this Isaiah 9-6 that I want to highlight to you. Isaiah said he'll be called an everlasting God. Everlasting means like forever. It means eternal. And Jesus came because people desire eternal life in heaven. And I actually changed this from the first draft that I sent over to the person in our church who makes this little sermon outline that you have. My first draft said people desire eternal life. And I thought, no, it's more than that. People desire eternal life in heaven. People don't don't want to live forever in in a horrible, condemned state. When people think of eternal life, they think of eternal life in heaven. And the Bible says here that Jesus will be an everlasting God who has the ability to grant eternal life. Now, we all go through different times and seasons in our life. Ecclesiastes 3, tremendous chapter in Scripture. Uh, uh, in the 60s, the Birds, who were a popular music group, wrote a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. You ever heard that song? For everything, turn, turn. So I should be on the worship team. Turn, turn, turn. There's a reason. Turn, turn, turn. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's, that song is from Ecclesiastes 3. And Solomon just says, look, there's a time for everything in life. I mean, you have good times, bad times, rich times, poor times, healthy times, sick times. There's a time for everything. But then he says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He said, God's made everything beautiful in its time, but he's also set eternity in the hearts of men. But they can't fathom how God does it, what God has done from beginning to end. Yeah, there's a time for everything, but he said in every human being, there's this thought that there's this desire for eternal life. They know this life is going to end, and there's this tremendous desire in the heart of everyone to live forever. You know, there's a, uh, in 1996, my senior year of high school, a movie came out. Not for those of you who are new, every time I mention a movie, it does not mean go watch it. It might not even be a good movie, but it featured Denzel Washington, who I like, and it was called Fallen. And it was about a fallen angel, a demon. Any of you remember seeing that movie? Probably none of us should have seen it, but since, since you have and I have, um, I'll use the illustration. And it was about this demon that passed through people. And like you'd be walking on the street and I'd have the demon and I'd bump someone and they would have the demon. But you could always have the demon because they sang a song. And this song used to haunt me every time I'd hear it. I'd think, oh, you know, oh no, does this person in the radio have a demon? And it was that song, Time is on my side. Remember that song? Time is on my side. And as the movie ended, somebody walks by Denzel Washington and they're singing that song. And I thought, oh, he's got the demon. The demon's not dead. Uh, Time is not on our side. Our time is going to run out. Everyone in this room, our time is going to run out. And when our time runs out, eternal life begins. And Jesus says eternal life in heaven can begin for you. But how do you get it? You have to put your faith in this little baby Jesus. The rich young ruler in Luke 18, 18, there's a man called the rich young ruler who literally, I guess, had enough money to buy anything, but he couldn't buy eternal life in heaven. So he asked Jesus in Luke 18, 18, how do I inherit it's an interesting word, inherit. He probably made his wealth because his dad gave it to him. How can I get someone to give me 
eternal life in heaven. How's that happen? I've got everything in life, but what I really want is to make sure that I live forever in, in heaven. How's that happen? Jesus began to tell him that that only comes by placing your entire life in Jesus' hands. In John 5, 24, Jesus talked about eternal life. And he said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in God who sent me has eternal life. They're going to live forever. And they won't be condemned at the end of their life. Even for everything they've done wrong, they won't be condemned. They'll be forgiven. They'll have crossed over from death to life. John eleven twenty six, one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. Jesus is at the funeral of his friend Lazarus before he raises him from the dead. And he says to Lazarus' sister, you need to understand whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You believe this? Wait a minute, Christian, you just said we all die. Well, all of us here die, but I believe that every soul lives forever. You know, I told you about a friend of mine who died a few weeks ago, and I did his funeral just before Thanksgiving week. Uh, I went, they asked me to come and be at his bedside, and he, he had a 10-day, only a 10-day battle with can- pancreatic cancer that literally he got diagnosed, and 10 days later he, he was dead. He did not know he had cancer on a Monday, and the next Wednesday he was gone. Um, and, and I went over there on a Monday. So he died on Wednesday, so two days before he died, and he, he was in hospice care at his home. He was laying in his bed. He was hooked up to everything, very shallow breath, and he had been in and out of consciousness all day long. Several times they thought he had died, and they, you know, then they would adjust oxygen, and, and he would come back. But he was talking throughout this two days on what he was seeing as he would slip out of consciousness. He talked about seeing his son who had died a few years before him. He talked about the angels. He talked about the music. And he made this statement to his daughter who was laying in bed beside him. He said, it's so beautiful that I wish I could die forever. It's an interesting statement, is it not? It's so beautiful that I wish I could die forever. You know what he's saying? What, what is on the other side of this is actually better than this. And Jesus came to, to give it to us. The question I have for you on December 4th today is do you have eternal life? Do you know for certain in your heart that if for some reason today would be the last day you lived here, that you'd spend eternal life in heaven? It's a need that people have, and it's a need that can be met. God gives that to us. Yes, God gave us a baby, a a baby boy to give us a second chance. Yes, God gave us wonderful spiritual counsel. Yes, God can give us inner peace. But more than anything, maybe what we need the most, God can give us eternal life. And I'm just going to ask you, if you don't know yet today that you have eternal life, I'm going to ask everyone in here to just bow their heads and close their eyes. We're going to have our final closing prayer now. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I can say this December. I love Christmas. Santa Claus is real, and I'm going to tell you more about him all month long. But more important than Santa is is Jesus. Jesus is real. And Jesus came because God recognized that there were people who had needs that he could meet. People who had no inner peace. God said, I can meet that. People who needed a second chance. God said, I can meet that. People who needed spiritual wisdom. They just didn't know what to do in life. God said, I can, I can meet that. People who desired to live forever in heaven, but maybe they didn't know how that happened. God said, I can meet that. All through a little baby named Jesus. If you're in the room today, and you don't know for sure that you have eternal life in heaven, You don't know that if you died today, you'd spend tomorrow in heaven for an eternity because you've never asked Jesus for that. You've never committed to live for him so you could have that. 
then I want to pray with you today so before you leave this room, you can know that for sure. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I want to ask you to come forward this morning. But just between you and God right now, I just ask you to pray right where you are in your seat. You can pray from your heart. You don't even have to move your lips. But if your desire is what I just spoke today, then just pray these words. Mean them from your heart. Dear God, I need the things Christian spoke of today. I need a second chance. I need inner peace. I need spiritual wisdom sometimes. But I really desire to have eternal life in heaven when I die. And today, I recognize that that's available to me through this baby Jesus. And I ask that you'll give it to me that you'll forgive me of the things that I've done in my life that may have offended you. you give me a second chance, allow me to start over. And I pray you'll begin to prepare, repair my life now and prepare me to live forever with you in heaven. I accept the fact that Jesus was born so that I could have eternal life. And I ask that you'd give that to me today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around out of respect for those around you. If you just prayed that prayer today to become a Christian, to ask Jesus to give you eternal life, maybe for the first time you nailed it down or maybe you recommitted because you just weren't sure walking in today, would you just slip your hand up where you sit just real quick, up and down, just so that I can know. Yep, 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 yep. Hands all over the place. Awesome. God, I thank you for these people who today made a decision to to make it clear in their own head. Now, God, do something in their life that uh, that just blows them away because what you do is coolness. God, I pray for those who need inner peace. I know a lot of us struggle with all kinds of things. Grant us that peace. Pray for those that need wisdom, need an answer. Help us for our church be able to, to helpfully provide some of those. Be with those who need a second chance. Let us start over. Some of us need to do that. Thank you for this time in the year. Thank you for this baby Jesus. Thank you for Christmas time when we stop to celebrate it all. Get to spend time with family and friends and, uh, and just enjoying life a little more. Bless us for what we've heard today. Let's see things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Here's what I'm going to